Wow. Lots to catch up on this week. That's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to catch up with folks. It's always good. It's good to see you. And I'm glad that you're here today. We're in part number four of a series we're calling Reasons for Believing. Now, all of you hopefully have got some notes and you've got a pen, right? Anybody not missing? Okay. And again, the reason why we give you notes is that someday somebody's going to ask you about some of these points and questions. And rather than scurrying around and saying, I don't know, you say, can I just think about that and come back to you? You at least have a document you can work with. So, so far, what we've done is we've responded to the first three challenges in, that you're going to come up against. And we've put them in a systematic sequential order. The first one we looked at was this. Real truth doesn't exist. Remember, that was week one. And that thought there was that people say, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth or truth is what's just true for you. But actually what we showed in that first week is a very, very important point. And that is truth exists and it's knowable. And we as Christians subscribe to what we call the correspondence view of truth. In other words, truth is what corresponds to reality. If it doesn't check with reality, it's not true. Secondly, in the second week, we look at the challenge, well, God doesn't exist. People say, well, God doesn't exist. So then what we did in week number two, we looked at and we started to look at evidence from the beginning. The universe had a beginner. Before there was time, space, and matter, there was nothing. That's what Einstein and the scientists believe. And by the way, that's what Genesis 1-1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? The heavens and the earth, and it was without void. So we looked at that, we looked at the beginnings. Then we also looked at the whole concept of design, how incredibly complex even the very small cellular structures are. And we looked at, there's no such thing as a design. Remember, I talked about my watch. Without a designer, even the clothes that you wear, they didn't just randomly come together. Somebody had it in their mind. And what we saw is that behind every design, there is a mind. That was a big point and the big takeaway. And we, saw, we also saw there the whole concept of a moral law, and it pointed to one, to a God who exists. But what we went to in the third week, last week, some people say, well, if you even get to them on point of, well, God exists, the next point, the next objection, they're going to say, well, is he the God of the Bible? Aren't all gods the same? And so last week, what we did is we took time to look at eight particular characteristics or fingerprints of this God without even reference to the Bible. And by the way, at the end of it, we saw it actually perfectly aligns with the Bible. Oh, by the way. So we proved the existence of the fingerprints, and then we went back to the Bible to say, look at this, isn't it interesting? What we see in nature, we see in the, in the Bible, the God of the Bible. Now today, we're going to look at another challenge that you're going to hear, and it is basically summed up like this. Miracles don't happen. That's how they'll say it. And that, for us, will be a potential problem because both the Old Testament and the New Testament record many miracles, actually 250 to be exact. The four Gospels record the greatest miracle claim of all. And what is that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says that. But here's a problem. If in truth there are no miracles, then... The Bible is not reliable, and Jesus did not rise from the dead. See where that's going? So it's a very important point, this. Now, if you were to take a survey and ask people if they believed in miracles, you would be surprised. I was surprised because I took the most liberal source I could find, the Huffington Post. Whoa, God save us from them. They recently commented in multiple polls that belief in miracles is around 80% in the general populace. 80%, and that's a liberal bunch. But first of all, and this is very important, I teach all my kids this, whenever you're having a discussion, the first thing you must do is define terms. Define terms. Because often you'll find yourself arguing about different things. Like, well, I don't believe in a God like that either. You're talking about something completely different than I am. Those of you who are married know exactly what I'm talking about. You can have an argument about things which you're both talking about different things. So define terms. So the question for us today, the first one, is what is a miracle? 
because there's a ton of misconception about what a miracle actually is. So we need to get this dead right. So what is a miracle? Often we, mis- we misuse this term, and we use it and abuse it by using it for a purely unusual event. I won the lottery. It was a miracle. That wasn't a miracle. Or we use the term miracle for a simple coincidence. It was a miracle. I saw you at that rugby game. No, it wasn't. That's not a miracle. An everyday event is not a miracle. For example, how many times have I been guilty of this one when I was a young kid? It was a miracle I passed that test. (laughs) Well, no, but it wasn't a miracle. Okay. It was something to do with the hard work I put in and the brains that God had used, and I was a good steward of the brains that God had gave me. So I applied them. So what is a miracle? I want to talk about three characteristics of a miracle first, of a true miracle. Firstly, a true miracle is a supernatural intervention. Supernatural. It's above nature. The word supernatural means that God is the actual cause of a true miracle. Human power, yours and mine, and anybody else's in this world, cannot perform a miracle. There's a bunch of charlatans around there. A bunch of so-called faith healers. We'll get to that later on. A bunch of witch doctors. And, and we go, what a bunch of poo-hoo. They are there and they make a living, which is a terrible tragedy. The instant disappearance of a malignant tumor without medical intervention is a miracle. Second, a miracle transcends but doesn't break natural laws. Transcends but does not break natural laws. For example, suppose you and I take a plane and we jump out at four kilometers of a plane with a parachute on. And lo and behold, we're going down, and about the time it comes to pull a parachute, it does not open. Now, the law of gravity will ensure that you or I die pretty quickly upon impact. But if in case, but instead, we gently floated down to the ground and we landed on our feet unhurt, everyone would agree that something very supernatural had just happened. Yet the law of gravity would not be suddenly broken. It would still be operating as it always has. Instead, gravity would have been superseded for that individual at that time. That would be a miracle because God and only God could do that. He created the law of gravity. He can override it and amend it for a particular instance at a particular point in time should he choose to do that. It's an intervention by God that overrules the natural laws that he has put in place. So a miracle overpowers the laws of nature without breaking them. It is an exception to a natural law. That is another angle on a miracle. Third, and this is very important, especially in today's world, every miracle in the Bible had a purpose, a special purpose. Today we have the unfortunate phenomenon of people walking around this planet claiming they can do miracles, and I call them Mac miracles, like McDonald's. They can do them at the drop of a hat, on cue, the charlatans. That is not the way biblical miracles happen. One day, a group of Jews, having heard about the miracles of Jesus, asked him, hey, would you do one for us? Give us a show. Now, if you go back and read the scripture in Matthew 16.4, you can put that aside to have a look yourself. Jesus did not intend to perform a miracle just to entertain them. And sometimes I fear that people, Christians, gullible Christians, go along to a conjuring show. Jesus did not do miracles to entertain or perform. These people already had enough evidence and knew who he was. And my point is this, that God does not perform miracles merely to amuse or entertain. He has a special purpose. Check it out in the scriptures. So, what will be the purpose of a miracle? 
The main purpose of biblical miracles was to confirm that someone or something was truly from God. For example, in the Old Testament, God used people, and what would happen is a spirit, this is a big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the New Covenant and the Old Covenant, God's spirit would descend upon a person for a special act of service. They'd do that service, and then God's spirit would lift again. That's under the Old Covenant. So basically, he'd come, the spirit, empower Samson, thrash all the Philistines, give them a good spanking, and then God's spirit would lift. And then he'd do another great act and God's spirit will lift and the final one is of course when he pushed the pillars under the new covenant God's spirit doesn't work like that that all changed when the Holy Spirit came now not to visit for a while over here but he came and the Bible says behold the tabernacle of God dwells now with men not in buildings of stone and he says I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll replace it with a heart of flesh and I will cause you to want to walk in my ways. I will cause you to desire my paths. Even that's by grace. So, under the Old Testament, the miracles, for example, which God empowered Moses, were evidence to Pharaoh and to all those unbelieving Israelites some of the time that God had sent this man for this point in time, and buddy, you better let my people go. The guy had rocks for brains. He was as dumb as dirt to take on Moses. That's Pharaoh. Also in the New Testament, God used miracles to show people that he had sent Jesus. To show people that he'd sent Jesus. And the gospel records many miracles that Jesus did. What was the first miracle that Jesus did? Who said that somewhere over there? He turned water into wine. Did you hear that? Sidebar. There's nothing wrong with alcohol, apart from it'll hurt your body if you drink too much of it. The Bible never prohibits taking of alcohol. It always prohibits being drunk. Or anything else that will stop you from being in full control of your senses and mind and decisions. So, he turned water into wine. Another good example. And by the way, in Israel next year, you'll go to the place, Cana of Galilee, where exactly he did that. And on just over the hill from there, there's the Sea of Galilee, which is where Jesus walked on. You'll be able to swim in that next year. He fed thousands of people with only a loaf of bread and a few fishes. He cast out demons in Gadara. Remember where those pigs those evil spirits went into those pigs and they went into the cliff. You see Gadara, that's just across the other side of the lake over there. He healed diseases and illnesses, people who were paralytic, and he even raised the dead. Now Jesus did not just do these things to astonish people or to be nice. He did them to prove who he said, who he was, who God said he was, God in the flesh. God wrapped in the flesh. The Bible says here, in John 20, verse 30, and Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, the eyewitnesses, which are not recorded in this book. Because he goes on to say, if that happened, there wouldn't be all the books in the world that contain it. But here we are. Why did he do the miracles? Next verse over here, John 20, 31. But these are written. Why? Why have they been written down about these miracles? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. There is life in no other. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man or woman will ever get to God apart from through Jesus Christ. He is the one conduit to God that makes us acceptable because of his blood that was spilt on the atoning sacrifice of the cross. Nobody else, even within a bull's roar, claims to do that. We'll look at the proof of that later. The Apostle John said he recorded Christ's miracles so that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have a life in his name. Nicodemus, one of the academic elites, comes to God and to Jesus at night, undercover, possibly because of a bit of peer pressure there. And he said he knew that he was from God. Really. Notice the reason, though. He says, since he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. What's the reason? Where's the evidence? For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. He was blown out of his tree. And this guy is an academic, highly respected in the community. He says, mate, someone's up here because we ain't seen that ever before. Nobody has been able to do what you can do. So therefore, I am concluding, Nicodemus, that you're from God. Miracles were also given, D, as proof that the apostles were from God. See, one of the qualifications, biblical qualifications, for an apostle, apart from, there's three actually, I'll just dwell on two today. Number one is you must have seen the living Jesus. Nobody today has seen the living Jesus. Secondly, so they were with him, and secondly, they could do miracles. Miracles were given to prove the apostles were from God, and therefore, their message on what they said was also from God. That's the reason why. They were. It was an attestation to the veracity of the truth of the gospel. God stood behind his word that he knew was going to be written and said, this is the proof that their message was from God. Now, Paul Wrote that he was given power to perform signs. This is an apostle, Paul. Signs, wonders, and miracles as proof he was an apostle of God. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed amongst you with the utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. The apostles had a particular gifting that attested to their veracity of the message they were sharing. Also, God also used miracles to bring people to Jesus. Peter prayed for the disciple Tabitha, who was always helping the poor. This woman had a heart for the poor. And by the way, it's really interesting to me, if you follow, do you know a lot of Jesus' ministry was supported by businesswomen? Did you hear that? Yes, yeah, some businessmen, but businesswomen as well. And they hang out with him real tight. Peter prayed for the disciple Tabitha. She'd been sick, and the scriptures record she died. Her body was already washed. That's how you know. Washed. And I mean, washed, perfumed up, redressed, and ready for burial. She was dead as a dodo. But God does a miracle through Peter, and he raises a dead woman to life, an apostle doing a miracle to attest to the veracity of the truth. Now, when that happened in Acts 9, the Bible records this became known all over Joppa. No kidding. That's not far from Tel Aviv today. And this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed. Look, if you were one of those women who just washed that woman, and she was out to lunch, she'd gone, burger. You saw that girl come back, that's going to shake your cage. It really is. I know, you'd say. Don't care what you say, I saw it. Miracles also can be used to teach who God is. Who God is. They reveal him to be very powerful. Nothing's too hard for him. Nothing is impossible. See, when Jesus raised the only son of a widowed mother from the dead, he not only showed God's incredible power, but it also showed his compassion and his love for that boy and for the mother. Now, an important point. I want to take a slight pause here to clarify a few things, which has confused a lot of Christians and still trips people up today. First thing is, not everything unusual is a miracle. Unusual instances or incidents or remarkable events 
are not miracles. First, some unusual instances that happened with natural causes. One of them would be, if you've ever seen the, haven't you ever seen the movie Sully? Yeah, yeah. So in 2009, Captain Chelsea um, Sullenberg on the US Airways flight 1549, which I have to confess, I have been on, on my way into Charlotte, was two minutes heading for Charlotte, out of Charlotte, when it collided with a large flock of birds. Now, that's the last thing you want to see, a bunch of feathers coming out the back of the jet engine if you're sitting in the back here. Not good. Chances of survival are normally slim to none. But the pilot, thinking quickly, opted to ditch the bird, that's the, the plane, on the Hudson River, and all 155 passengers survived. Now, I noted because I have a lot of friends in Charlotte around there, in the Charlotte Observer, some of the media reported, it's a miracle. No, it's not. The captain didn't believe that either. The captain didn't think so. What he said, he said, actually, it was a case of everybody doing their jobs, and we were very fortunate. No natural laws were suspended here. A highly skilled pilot superbly and deftly landed that plane in a unique and extenuating circumstances. But that, my friends, that's skill, what you're looking at there. That is not a miracle because no natural laws were suspended. Coming back to our definitions. So what is and what isn't a miracle? There are at least six different categories of unusual events of which only one of them is a miracle. So I want to take a little moment to look at those to make sure we get some clarity. The first, the whole category of anomalies. An anomaly is an unexplained freak of nature. And at one time, not too, in the not too recent distant past, scientists had absolutely, and especially engineers, had absolutely no idea how bumblebees could fly. Its wings were too small for its body. Everything was all out of proportion. Scientists considered bumblebee flight as an anomaly, which it is, until they discovered a kind of power pack that makes up the small wings. They knew it wasn't a miracle because all bumblebees flew. So they kept looking for a natural explanation. And they found one, which is good. But an anomaly is not a miracle. We had to be careful about our terms. Second, a skilled musician, a uh, musician, listen to me, a skilled magician can give the appearance of having broken natural laws by seeming to make an object materialize out of nothing. Or by keeping something aloft in the air, or sawing, that's often a woman in two, <laughs> I'm not sure why that is. But there's a natural explanation for each one of those. I know because at 18 years old, I was the Assistant Secretary to the New Zealand Society of Magicians until God spoke to me about that. Some of you want to know about that, come and talk to me afterwards. Every time a magician does a trick or an illusion, there's a natural explanation for it. No illusion, no trick, no matter what anybody says, breaks a natural law. They're done solely by people and are a result of human ingenuity. Number three, this is a funny one. One of my good friends, Dr. Norman Geisler, developed an allergy, developed an allergy. Now, please hear, I am not saying that all allergies are like this. I'm just saying for him, at this particular time, at this particular instance. So that's somebody who was having an allergy. He went to preach in a completely different place, and there was a bunch of flowers sitting about right next to him. And so he comes up and he says, man, somebody's got to move those flowers. He started to sneeze. He says, somebody's got to move those flowers. And the, one of the ushers came and said, Sir, these are not real. These are just plastic. And he looked at them. <laughs> and they were. And do you know what? He hasn't sneezed again since that guy. <laughs> what I'm saying is some things can be psychosomatic. Oh, you're looking so ill. I am? Oh, yeah, actually, you don't feel so good. <laughs> you can almost inject that thinking into yourself. Oh, you look so tired. Oh, yeah, I am. 
It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the point is, is that mind over matter is not a miracle. Not a miracle. This is an interesting one. Number four, satanic signs. Another possible cause of an unusual event could be other spiritual beings. Since God exists, it is possible that other spiritual beings exist. Now, the Bible actually says that they do exist, but that's a different issue because we haven't got quite to the Bible yet. Satan can perform tricks and deceive better than the best magician out. And there are many examples of this in the Bible. Sometimes, having been in Africa and other places, India, I have seen witch doctors do things to people that appear to heal them. My conclusion, after speaking to some of these people and praying for them, is all that's happened is Satan had afflicted them, and for the moment, to get a moment of glory, he removes that, but guess what? In two or three weeks, they're back sick again. When God heals, he heals permanently, instantly, and forever. So as we get a look at this, in Acts 16.6, you may want to write this down at the side because I didn't put this in there. As we're going to our place of prayer, interesting point, the apostles and the disciples thought it important to pray, and they would physically go to a prayer meeting, which is a good question. Why is the church prayer meetings across the globe the least attended, prayer, uh, least attended meetings of any meeting? Sometimes I think we get our priorities wrong. The Bible says here, as we were going to the place of prayer, Acts 16, 16, reading from the ESV, we were met there by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. A spirit of divination. And she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. The origin of that is demonic. The scriptures talk about that. You can read further on what happened. In short, God performs true miracles. Satan performs counterfeit miracles, but they can sometimes look similar. Now, Matthew 24, 24 is a very important verse. Of course, it says, unless one is discerning, such signs can be deceptive and may be mistaken for miracles. The Bible talks about in the end times, Satan will use people in such a way that they will seemingly be able to do supernatural things. And if it were possible, the elect will be gone by then, the elect would have been deceived. So for false Christs, I'm reading from Matthew 24, 24 again, and false prophets will arise, reading from the scriptures, and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So that is a potential source, but that is not a miracle. The Bible talks about it as a sign and a wonder. Number five, religious people, particular Christians, are guilty of throwing around the term miracle very loosely. And quite often they identify an event or a miracle when it could be more accurately described as providential. I'm going to give you an example of this. How many of you know, most of you, any of you studied history? And Normandy, right? The Normandy landing. That was providential because it helped conceal the Allied attack against the evil Nazi regime. It wasn't a miracle because it could be explained by the natural laws, but God was most likely behind it. A miracle in that case would be more like requiring something like bullets bouncing off young men. Now, lastly and finally, a miracle is an unmistakable act of God that will distinguish acts of God from other unusual events. It's a divine act, like a king's seal. In the old days, what they used to do, a king's seal must be unique, easily recognizable, and something that only the king would have. And in the same way, God's sign must be unique, easily recognizable and something only God can do. In other words, it has the characteristics that cannot be explained by natural laws, natural forces, or anything else in the physical universe. There's a quick summary. Next slide. Just to let you know. Here's my point. All that glitters is not God. Let me say that again. 
all that glitters is not God. But we've also seen that since God exists, miracles are possible. In fact, the greatest miracle of all, the, the miracle of creation of the universe out of nothing has already occurred. That's a fact. Which means that after Genesis 1-1, every other miracle in the Bible, or any other miracle like that, is believable. Again, next slide, when the days when long-distance messages were sent by hand, we didn't have emails. And if you wanted to send a document from A to B, from, I don't know, Jerusalem to Alexandria, in Egypt, what you'd do is a king would sizzle his seal, hot wax, and stick it on the actual document to seal his message. Now, as a sign to the recipient that this message was authentic, and the seal needed to be authentic, needed to be unusual, unique again, and easily recognizable. It had to be something that only the king possessed to show the veracity that this document was his. In the same way, the sign or miracle confirmed a message was from God and is authentic. Think about the way God used Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Jesus and the apostles. A miracle, I'll give you it in a sentence. A miracle is an act of God to confirm the word of God through a messenger of God. There it is. A miracle is an act of God to confirm the word of God through a messenger of God. That's what a miracle is. So, now why is this important? Why are we even talking about this today? Because here it is. If there are no miracles, then much of the Old Testament and new is false. From Moses down through the prophets, the Old Testament records miracles. If they can't or don't happen, the Old Testament is not reliable. That's good logic. And much of the New Testament will be false as well. For example, the New Testament clearly affirms the astonishing miracle of Jesus being virgin born. We wholeheartedly subscribe to that. And there's very good reasons for that. Directly related to this point, which Joshua mentioned today, John the Baptist sent his disciples. He's under a tough time. He's going through a very tough time. He's in prison. Really tough time. And this wasn't like the prisons we have today. This is really tough. And he's feeling discouraged. And this is Jesus' cousin. So he sends off his disciples to see if Jesus was the one sent from God. Luke 7, 22, he says, So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what? What you have seen and heard. So he says, If you don't believe what I'm saying, and Jesus says this in many places in the New Testament, you guys, Jews, Gentiles, if you don't believe what I am saying, watch what I do. Here's the evidence. Jesus was evidence-based. He understood people could, nah, but eyewitnesses were the top level, the priority number one witnesses. That's, they were the most weighty witnesses, eyewitnesses. Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind, what did you see? Oh, I saw the blind receive sight. He's been here. We knew this boy since he was a kid. He's as blind as a bat. That lame kid. He's never walked. We saw what happened. This is not done in the corner. Those who have leprosy, they were cured. The deaf hear, the dead raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Now, Peter's talking to the Jews and the others living in Jerusalem, also said miracles are a proof that Jesus was sent from God. Men of Israel, listen to this, Peter talking. Jesus of Nazareth was a man, I love this word, accredited by God. To you, how was he accredited? How was he endorsed by God? By miracles 
wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know. In other words, anybody going to argue with that? And this is read to thousands and thousands of New Testament Christians. As you know, quit kidding yourself. Get focused on the fact. You see, that proves Jesus was accredited by God. And then in 1 Corinthians, here's a point. If there are no miracles, Jesus did not rise from the dead. Slam dunk case. The Bible says here, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins because you still have a gap between you and God. That's what he says. And if he wasn't raised, then not only the gospel's false, but again, our faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So, are miracles possible? The answer is exceedingly clear. If God exists, then miracles are possible. If God does not exist, then miracles are not possible. If Genesis 1-1 is true, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then every other miracle in the Bible is easy to believe. If there's a God who created and designed specifically rotations and, and orbits and galaxies, then he can be involved in his creation at any time that he chooses. It's his prerogative. So if God is the source of all the natural laws, he can supersede them anytime he wants, and no creature can tell the creator what he can and cannot do. A God who can create time, space, stars, planets, and moons, and all of the incredible variety of life on earth, to put walk on the water, I'm sure when the guys were blown out of the water, that's Jesus. And they were freaking out. The angels are laughing. What is that to Jesus, to walk on water? That's nothing. Easy peasy in our vernacular today. And that ought to uh, end the debate, but some raise objections. Here is one of the most common objections that your children are going to hear, and your grandchildren. And by the way, you're going to hear from Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. That's why we need to be clear-headed about this. They're going to say this. All religions claim to have the same kind of miracles. Miracles can't prove one belief system and worldview over another. That's what they're going to be true. Prove them to be true. Suppose, for example, Moses and Buddha and Jesus and Muhammad and Krishna and Joseph Smith... Those followers all claimed, just suppose for a moment, they don't, but just suppose they all claimed their founder walked on water and he rose from the dead. Suppose they did, just for a moment. If such claims were made, and if they were true, then no one could use them as evidence that only their religion was true. Jesus' miracles would not prove he was sent from God any more than Joseph Smith who's the founder of the Mormon worldview. But are all miracle claims truly the same for all faiths? Or are biblical miracles of a whole different category from other miracles, supposed miracles? We're going to wrap this up with six reasons the Bible's miracles are not like other claims. Six reasons. There are first one is there are hundreds of biblical miracles. Let me give you a number to be exact. There are 250 diverse miracles and 60 in the Gospels alone. Useful to remember that. These accounts don't come from people who'd heard it from their mother or their grandfather or generation after generation after generation. These come from eyewitness, which again is the highest grade of testimony you can get. No other religious source claims so many miracles from eyewitnesses. Second, biblical miracles are immediate and permanent. A genuine miracle had immediacy. It didn't take three months for this to work. 
or a year. I love that scripture that Joshua quoted today from, what was it, uh, probably Matthew 8, 3. It says, Jesus reached out and he touched the man and he said, be clean. And immediately, oh, that's a different one. And, his, and immediately he was cured from his leprosy. Notice that word? Immediately. Gone. Fixed. Matthew 8, 13. Jesus said to the centurion, go, and it will be done to you just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that very hour. It wasn't days or weeks or months later. It happened with an immediacy. Acts 3, 7, here's another verse. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Instantly. So, these miracles were permanent. There was no relapses. This is the mark of a genuine miracle. You don't lose your healing. No one who is healed became blind again or deaf again. Nobody. Of course, those brought back to life ultimately faced physical death once more, as all people must. Third, biblical miracles, unlike legends or fables, fit reality. They fit reality. Christian miracles fit into nature and the world as we know it. Now, the virgin birth was a unique miracle, but once Mary became pregnant, all proceeded normally. Man, that woman was tough. Riding a donkey, fully pregnant, 76 miles. I wouldn't like to do that, and I'm not pregnant. <laughs> now, once she was pregnant, though, and we got to the right stage, she had a very normal birth, a delivery. Contrary to what Islam claims, Jesus did not hop out of the delivery canal speaking. That's baloney. That's a good theological word today. Baloney. The miracles of Christ were spectacular, but once life, once he'd been here, went to heal them, life proceeded normally. So you were healed and you proceeded, or you were changed, but you, it was normal. You didn't sprout a halo, or you didn't sprout some wings. None of those that were healed and touched by Jesus' miraculous power became clairvoyant. None of them, which other religions have got weird stuff going on, could fly or retain the halo. That's weird stuff. There was a miracle, and then everyday life went on as it usually would. Conversely, non-biblical miracles are often ridiculously bizarre, and they don't fit with our real world, their mythology. Muhammad claimed he rode to Jerusalem one night on a white-winged horse, physically. Joseph Smith claims that he translated the Book of Mormon into English from a language. He, he was clueless. He had no translating ability. Using, wait for it, a magical pair of rose-colored spectacles. You've got to read this stuff. Tibetan Buddhists claim to have occult powers to suspend people in mid-air. Nothing is found like that in the biblical accounts. Nothing like it. Next, biblical miracles involve, very importantly, no ritual, superstitional formula. And this is a hard thing for some people who come from superstitious cultures. Remember this, friends. Doesn't matter which culture you come from, Christ trumps culture. Always. The miracles of the Bible don't follow a prescribed pattern. Sometimes a person was healed right there when Jesus was there. Other times Jesus will be here and the person will be miles away and he'll be healed over there. Sometimes he touched those heels, people that he healed. Sometimes he didn't. There's no formula. And the Bible presents no ritual that somebody could learn or should learn to perform miracles. Now, other, on the other hand, other religions, on the other hand, have these elements. They've got secret rituals with special words or instances or special rites. And there are magical phrases to chant 
or special touch from a guru or a spiritist, stay away from them. Stay away from palm reading. Stay absolutely away from seances. Next, the biblical miracles were recorded while eyewitnesses were still alive. Biblical miracles are based on the records of people who witnessed the events and they reported them. This is not true of all religions. For example, miraculous claims regarding the Buddha came along 150 years after his death. None, and you can check it out, zero were recorded by his contemporaries, either friends or other people. And by the way, the Quran says that Allah did not give Muhammad power to perform miracles. You can read more about that in Answering Islam, the cross and the light of the crescent. And that's quoted from page 158. Next, Christianity makes unique miracle claims for its founder. And there are at least three totally unique miracles for Jesus. I guess I just want to make the point that we have no contemporary documents again of any other religious leader or his immediate follower claiming to be virgin born. Second, men like Muhammad and Buddha and Joseph Smith never claimed to be sinless. Nobody's done that. Nobody. Their followers may respect them, but they did not claim that they were perfect. And third, no other religion has claimed that their founder rose from the dead. You can go to the graves of where Buddha and Krishna and Mahabharata and Smith and the rest are, and they rest in their graves. Not for Jesus Christ. Here's our observation as we wrap this up. We've seen that all religions don't make the same or similar miracle claims. There's a vast difference in categories. Biblical miracles are unique, so they can be used as evidence that Christianity is true. Now the answer to the allegation that miracles do not or cannot happen is simple. Here it is again. If God exists, then miracles are possible. Because God created everything, including supernatural laws. He is the natural lawmaker who has the prerogative to temporarily suspend and make exceptions to his laws. Men cannot lock God out of his universe. Now, as C.S. Lewis said here, this, is a very, this guy was an atheist, and he became a Christian based on the evidence. He says this, if we admit God, must we admit miracles? Indeed. Indeed. You have no security against it, and that's the bargain. If you accept God, miracles are possible. Now, to disprove miracles, we'd have to first, therefore, disprove God, and nobody's ever succeeded in doing that. Biblical miracles are special acts of God that laid the foundation for his permanent revelation to mankind, and that is his word. So, let's sum up. Looking at the question we started with, which of the four contradictory worldviews have the facts supported? We previously ruled out the worldview of atheism and pantheism because the evidence that we examined didn't support the basic beliefs that they hold. Now we need to revisit deism. And you remember what deism means? De well, who can tell me what deism means? Somebody take a shot? What's the concept that goes on? Exactly. So it's like God created the alarm clock, he wound it up, all works perfectly, put it down, and stepped away. So he doesn't intervene in the, day, in the world today. Oh, they agree that God created the world. They see the design, and they just see the moral law, but they don't think he's involved at all. Now, deism, by definition, must deny miracles. But this presents some problems. Why would God design and create everything with such care and precision and then abandon it. Why would God make the universe absolutely perfectly tuned for life and flourishing and then walk away from that? 
Another problem for deism is that the designer seems to be, actually be concerned with our well-being. As evidence shows that he loves us and cares for us. He's fashioned the universe, tweaked it to support human life. He's given his air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat. And if he cared so much about the design of that universe to set it so precisely so that human life could thrive, why should we conclude he doesn't care? Why would it all suddenly change? So logically, it follows that if there is a God, then there can be miracles. And no one can tell the Creator he can't intervene. So at this point, we must rule out deism. So the only logical possibility left is theism. Now the remaining question will be, which of the three theistic religions will be the best match for the rest of the evidence. What are the three theistic religions? Can anybody tell me? Judaism is one. Islam and Christianity. So we've narrowed it down through a process of elimination down to three that are theistic. Now friends, all three of those believe in a God who created and designed everything that exists. They believe in a universal moral law. They all accept that miracles are possible. However, Islam, one of those, has its own peculiar problems regarding its supposed miracles. For example, I've mentioned this briefly, that the Quran explicitly says Muhammad performed no supernatural miracles. It actually says that. Zero. Folk tales of them don't show up until about 150 years after Muhammad's death via word of mouth. Where our ones, which we're going to get to later on, were actually written down within the lifetime of these eyewitnesses. We're going to show that later on. Now, Islam also alleged miracles don't even pass the test for miracles. They don't even match reality. For example, you tell me. Last time you checked the moon out, was it cut in half? Because apparently, Muhammad was set to cut the moon in half with a sword. Last time I checked, not last time we flew around the back of it, it's all in one piece. And also, the, Islam alleges that the palm trees would supposedly lean over to shade him when he stopped in the desert. Pretty bizarre. And rocks would speak when you walked by. And allegedly, his food would talk to you. I don't know what it would say. Hey, don't eat me. <laughs> Pretty strange stuff. The remaining question we're going to focus on is this. Which of the three theistic religions is the best match for the evidence that we have? And the next challenge we're going to meet is a really important one. And it's going to be down to this. The New Testament's reliability. Judaism does not recognize the New Testament's reliability. Islam claims, as others do, that it's being corrupted. You're going to hear that. We're going to look at those objections, what they actually are, and why they say that, and do they actually hold water. So next time, after the mission trip to Uganda, we're going to look at what does the evidence show. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who created the heavens and the earth and everything there in it. Lord, we know that because you exist, miracles are possible. We know that truth exists because you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we know that nobody can come to you except through Jesus. Father, as we love you, as you commanded with a heart, soul, and mind, would you grow us? Would you help us to remember and apply, Lord, these principles in our conversations with those who are seeking to know more about you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.